You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Welcome to the Moisture Festival Podcast. I am Matthew Baker, and I perform a comedy stunt show at the Moisture Festival. And I'm Louie Fox, and I perform a comedy magic show and hand shadow puppets at the Moisture Festival. If you're new to this program and don't know exactly what the Moisture Festival is, the Moisture Festival is a four-week festival celebrating the variety arts, and it happens in the city of Seattle. They've got the new venue, which is the Broadway Performance Hall. Now, this is the largest festival of its kind in the world and features some of the best entertainers and comedians working today. The festival happens in the months of March and April, and not only do they have world-class variety acts, the Moisture Festival also hosts a week of burlesque shows. Yeah. Now, if you're listening to this during the festival or around festival time, be sure to get tickets now because 95% of the shows sell out. You can get tickets to all of the shows by visiting the website moisturefestival.org. On this episode of the Moisture Festival podcast, we welcome in the very amazing Paul Draper. We learn about a multitude of things from what an anthropologist is to uh, how cannibals work to everything in between. <laughs> yeah, a pretty cool conversation. And it's, it's really interesting to hear how Paul has taken so many different facets of his life and sort of put them together to build his show and uh, create a very unique performing style. And this is his first year at the Moisture Festival, so he hasn't performed yet, but we got a quick sneak preview of something that may be in the show. Yeah, you're going to love this interview. It is fascinating. Let's get to it. Yep. Our guest is an anthropologist, an academic moderator, and an award-winning mentalist, magician, and expert in the paranormal. He has appeared on the History Channel, the Discovery Channel, the Travel Channel, and on Chris Angel's Mind Freak. He was also the recipient of the Houdini Award for Best Mentalist. We welcome Paul Draper. Yay! This, this guy sounds amazing. I want to learn from him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you're the first uh, person that we have interviewed that is actively wandering around a city that they don't live in. You know, I'm currently in Boston. I just went on the tour of the Paul Revere house, ah. right? Doing the night ride. He's also a silversmith. Uh, I shouldn't bend his spoons as a spoon <laughs> bender. Uh, and uh, and I'm now where all the street performers are in Boston. Oh, nice. At, at Feniel Hall, which is a famous place. They're hopefully going to be changing its name because right now it's a uh, it's named after, you know, a, a fellow in the slave trade. Oh. Uh, but but they're talking about changing its name. But it's famous for food and dining and and shopping and street performers out here. So if if you're uh, if your people love variety entertainers and you're in Boston, Feniel Hall. It's, it's, Is there anybody performing there right now that you can give us active are. commentary on? <laughs> there are. There's. I, I passed by a living statue and a uh, a rock violinist, and there was some dude with his shirt off waving a stick around. I'm not sure if he's a performer or just homeless. But you, and, you put uh, ten bucks in his hat anyway. 
<laughs> e- either way, it was, you know, he did performance arts that looks like there's some break dancers getting ready to go. Nice. Yeah. Fabulous. Nice. Now, can you tell us what the what it is that you do to our listening audience? Like, what is your performance? Oh, I am a mind reader. I am psychic. That's what the show feels like. I'm more uh, my background, like you said, is I'm a professor of social uh, sciences, anthropology. I've taught at Yale and at uh, Soka University at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas and USC. And I use the social sciences and knowledge of human beings and the way we think and the choices we make in order to control people's actions, find out who's telling the truth and who's lying. And, and it feels like, uh, like real mind reading. It's as close as we can get. Nice. And, uh, and so let's kind of back up a little bit. So we barely made out of public school. What exactly is an anthropologist? Oh, that's a great question. Anthropology is the study of human beings. So, so very often people say, oh, you're an anthropologist, so you study bones? No, that's an archaeologist or a necrophiliac. Some people say, you, st- you study ants? You're an entomologist? No, entomology. You study dinosaurs? No, that's a paleontologist. Anthropologists study human beings. Now, in anthropology, I am what's considered a religious and medical anthropologist because i'm interested in uh, shamanism and medicine and mixing traditional and western medicine and all of that good stuff uh, inside of that i'm a cognitive anthropologist the the way we think the way we make decisions why we choose the things we choose believe the things we believe as it applies to religion and medicine uh, and and i sort of extrapolate that out into symbolic anthropology in a smallest uh, way because humans are symbol bearing creatures we have flags we have money we have uh, all these things that are that are that other animals don't have and yet we're willing to fight and die over them because made up objects that feel so real ah. now so- how did how did you transition from that you obviously you went to school for that how did how did you sort of decide, okay, I'm going to weave some of this, um, my learning, you know, at getting my master's degree into magic and mentalism. How did you decide to take this to the stage? My, my hobby was as a musical theater performer. So I was in Broadway tours and I was a singer and an actor and all of that as my hobby. And I, in my classrooms, I was doing a lot of this mind reading stuff, apparent mind reading. And the students started saying, you should do this for a living. Mm. And I was teaching at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and word got out to some of the casinos that there's this professor that does these amazing things. And because I had training as a, as a musical theater performer, mixed with that, it was a good time. You know, it was a good show. So I became the official magician for the Venetian for a while. I had a show at Planet Hollywood for a while. I've headlined at the Orleans Casino and different casinos in Vegas, both on and off the Strip. And and uh, and it, when I turned 30, I said, well, let's do this. Let's make this a, a full-time profession. And that's uh, that's been what I've been doing for the last 14 years. So what does it mean to be the official magician at the Venetian? Ooh, ooh. 
that's a that's a complex question. So in the history of Vegas, there have been a few people that have had the title of the house magician or the official magician. And what that means, sorry for the uh, background music of performers dancing here, but the uh, what that means is is that I'm the guy at the resort for whatever they need. And they paid me for seven years, uh, and I lived there. I lived at the resort. I ate for free at the resort, lived for free at the resort. And they gave me a monthly salary on top of uh, paid for shows and performances. And I was tipped by guests and other things. But I could do anything from uh, doing a show in one of the theaters to performing as part of their streetmosphere uh, they're uh, they're in near the gondoliers mm-hmm. to uh, entertaining their high rollers when they came their high rollers and their families to the communist leaders of China or the Saudi prince or uh, Patrick Stewart or you know whatever you know Richard Branson or whoever came to the resort that was important to them I would go to their suites and do shows for them and their families to I even advised on gee, we think this guy was uh, cheating at the card table. Do you see anything? Oh, interesting. So, so I was I was there full time for seven years and I was their guy, their magician on hand. You, so you're essentially you're on retainer to do whatever right. they want. And so wait, hold right. on. Did Was the guy cheating at cards? Oh, certainly. No, I caught lots of people cheating. Oh, a lot of times. Was there, so what they they bring you in? You, they show you the video, and you're like, "Oh yeah, he's doing a double lift to a flourish of blah blah blah." I'm not going to reveal that. You don't know who's listening. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, exactly. I would I would say that the that I saw that I saw uh, movement that I saw things added. You know, the most common thing that I saw at the Venetian back in those days was what was called chip stacking, where they would add chips to the bottom of their stack of chips after they had seen their cards. Oh, interesting. So that was that was a cheat. It was being used a lot. But now they, uh, yeah, if I was there today, it would be something different because now they have uh, RFID chips in the chips and the tables have readers in them so the dealer can get a readout if something changes. Wow. That's... Yeah. That's crazy, the technology that's working you out of a job. I know. Yeah. <laughs> First, it's these self-checkout lanes. Now it's RFID no. casino chips. <laughs> well, Why is there a self-checkout lane? I don't work here. What's yeah. cool is that you've sort of applied all the different aspects and interests in your life to sort of your per- different performances that you do. Like, you know, it says on your site that you're a national debate champion in original yeah. oratory. You're a state yeah. drama champ. So all of I, it sounds like all of these things you've used as tools to sort of create your show, which is pretty awesome. Well, look, we have to be a holistic person. We have to be interested in as many things as humanly possible and bring it all together, all the pieces of our lived experience. And if we talk about the things that we're passionate about, uh, no matter what it is, other people will be excited and energized by that passion as well, right? I mean, yeah, I was uh, going all the way back to high school. Like you said, I was the national debate champion in original oratory. I was a state debate champion, but the only reason I did, or a state uh, mime champion, but the only reason I did mime was because a bunch of the students started picking on me and saying, the only reason you win these orations is because you're good at talking. If you weren't <laughs> so good at talking, you wouldn't win these. So I went, okay, I'll compete in mime. 
And so I won that. <laughs> so they were like, he was, was the best <laughs> mime orator I've ever heard. Wait, but <laughs> is it oration orator. about talking? <laughs> is it like, the only reason you're good at baseball is because you're athletic. The only like, reason you're good right, at running is you got legs. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, the same so. reason Michael Jordan played baseball. But, uh, <laughs> but, but he didn't win. Um, so we, we uh, you know, the, the most important thing, I think, as a human being that has such a short lifespan is, uh, is, is we have to live to our fullest, be interested and engaged in the world, constantly learn, change and improve and give back to others in every way we can. And that's been my life. Nice. So I see you have your master's degree in rhetoric. Yeah. Political rhetoric. What is <laughs> What is that? Wait, wait. Are you asking what a master's degree is or what political rhetoric is? Let's start simple. Tell me okay. about the word the. <laughs> so, yeah, a Bachelor of Anthropology, a Bachelor of Musical Theater, a minor in broadcast journalism, a master's of political rhetoric. Uh, so I so I studied um, basically persuasion, uh, not the Jane Austen novel, but persuasion, how to persuade people and how to uh um, how to look at language, uh, deceptive language, deceptive communication, uh, and used by politicians throughout time in order to make us believe things or make us think that they're saying two sides of the same story. I was, I was very fascinated with um, politicians that could speak in such a way that it made us uh, believe that they believed whichever side of an issue we were on. Mm-hmm. That the way they talked uh, uh, didn't really say anything, but made us believe both things. So it's like uh, political we, cold reading. Right, right. Cold reading, hot reading, all of that. And uh, um, I was interested in that. I was interested in, uh, I studied the speeches of uh, religious leaders that led their followers to death. Uh, and and what, you know, what did they use in their language to sway people? To, uh, to die by suicide or to die uh, going into battle against people with, uh, with weapons you know, and capabilities far beyond what they had. And, and so I was interested in persuasion, deception, all of those things in order to help people avoid being hurt by others. Was there an underlying sort of theme or something that stood out in those speeches that, of leaders who convinced those people to do those things? Yeah, I mean it's a whole it's a whole journey, isn't it? But but usually usually it's it's about making an individual feel like like their worth, their meaning is is what's so important. The the what the core theoretical orientation that I use to describe how to get someone to do what you want them to do in those ways, um, and what we should be aware of if someone's trying to manipulate us, is they will try and give us membership. You're a member of this thing, mm. and this thing, you are better than people who aren't a member of it because you're a member. There is an order to it. You're a captain, and he's a private. You're a, you know, you're, you're a green belt, and he's a white belt. There's an order. Then you move up in the order, so there's membership. There's an order to the membership, and then there's meaning, that your life has meaning because of your membership and your order. And human beings respond to those three things. If you say to somebody in this group, 
well, I'm the Gold Circle ABD member, uh, and he's only the Silver Circle CFG member or whatever, that that has deep meaning to them in a way it doesn't have meaning to other people. I go to these corporate events that hire me to perform, and people get up on stage and they cry and weep when they receive these awards I've never heard of because they've worked their whole life to receive this trophy, this trophy that after they die is, is going to be thrown in the garbage because it doesn't mean anything to anybody outside that industry. But this person was willing to work harder, strive harder, give up hours with their family, give up hours doing things they're passionate about, uh, take less money on and on, give up their lives in order to receive this recognition from this one organization. And so, yeah, that's fascinating stuff. And in yeah. the same way, I use that in the shows to say, like like a hypnotist or, or a mind reader, to say, can we know what someone's thinking? Can we know what actions they're going to take? Can we control the actions we're going to take? I, I give people a chance to win $100. And only about one out of 30 times do I perform it. Does somebody get the $100? Because I'm able to use these techniques to sway mm -hmm. them not to take it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can, if the show goes bad, you convince them all to drink some sort of cyanide Kool-Aid. <laughs> no, I could, but no. I like the show starts with lady in seat 3A, your silver circle member. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, what you're saying is don't sign up for frequent flyer programs. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Sign up for all of them. So. Why, why choose just one? That's what they want you to do. Well, speaking, you know? of, speaking of moving up in ranks, so you're the seventh out of eight, eight Paul Drapers on Wikipedia. So how, how, how are we moving up on this? Uh, how did I, this podcast. How did I, how did I get down to seventh? You got to understand, before there was Don Draper on uh, Mad Men and before, uh, before the drummer for Manson started his own personal act as Paul Draper, I was number one. I was the number one Paul Draper on the internet for years. Then there, then there was a Vinter, a winery guy that became, oh, dang it. I even own pauldraper.com. I need to get better at SEO. Well, there's a Paul Draper who impersonates you uh, who's even higher. Dang that guy. No. You know, it's okay because I impersonate Pavarotti and Chumley. <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> now, speaking Whoa. of Chumley from the Pawn Stars, you were on that show, right? I was on Pawn Stars. Um, and how? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, what, what was your role? Were you pawning stuff? Were you an expert or just like shopping no. in the background? No, they made me the night manager of the pawn store. <laughs> I was the night I interviewed for the job. I bent a spoon that came off the Titanic with my mind. And, uh, and then they gave me the job as, uh, as the night manager of the pawn store. Nice. And this is, this is a real problem for me, this show. Because suddenly people started calling me and saying, so you're, you're, you're now managing a pawn shop in Vegas? <laughs> And, and, I, and I would have to say to them, wait a minute, you think I just randomly walked down the street, stepped into a random pawn shop that happened to be the most successful television show on the History Channel. I didn't notice the 12 cameras, the three producers, the six writers, 
the lighting designers, the the asks to reshoot sections on the script they gave me. And I just happened to be working as a night manager of a store that isn't even open at night. I just want to clarify, <laughs> that's your belief in reality. They're that's, like, that's what you think's happening. They're like, you've had fell on hard times. You're the seventh out of eighth Paul Drapers. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's tough. Times, tough. times are tough. Rough times. <laughs> I got to manage a pawn store. No, it's television, friends. Yeah. I received it, residual checks. Nice. <laughs> well, it looks like you, you're on a lot of these reality shows and some like a lot of game shows. Is that something that you seek out or do you get called for those or? Um, you know, I'm I'm a fun guest on these things. Uh-huh. Everybody, you know, I was on a show on ABC called Duel that was a game show, or or I was, you know, that's a lot of people think, you know, oh, this will be fun. We'll have a Vegas mentalist, you know, and mm-hmm. so so yeah, I've been on Ghost Adventures, and I hosted uh, three episodes of House Hunters Las Vegas. Will he be able to predict what house they'll choose? <laughs> you know, I did the Steven Spielberg had me do the special features on Poltergeist, you know, that played in movie theaters mm. and on the DVD. And you know, I get a lot of I get a lot of these kind of calls. So hang on, let's let's back up a little bit. So you've done some ghost shows. Did you ever find a ghost? You know, I I keep looking, I keep asking. They must be scared of me. I think the ghosts are scared of me. And uh, um, I, I really want there to be ghosts. I mean, I studied the spiritualist movement in New Orleans, uh, where they believe that uh, it's the new science of the spirits. Um, I, I uh, have worked with one of the top haunted attractions in the world. You know, Travel Channel called it uh, one of the top 10 haunted attractions. And I do an annual seance there. Um, uh, so I do a lot of things trying to discover ghosts i have had one spooky experience one time that i couldn't explain um and that's uh, and that's all i've ever had so i am i am hopeful that that one day i will i will find ghosts but until then it's sure a fun hobby now how how do you okay so you've conducted seances how well, so, do, yeah. how do you get trained for that well, first you get your ghost guide who teaches you how to talk to the ghosts. Um, no, you, uh, you know, I, th- there are many ways into it. I, I've been the official medium of the annual Houdini uh, seance that's happened every year since he died. And I've done, you know, I've done some high profile ones, but, but you know, th- there you can do it as a religion. You join the spiritualist religion, which, uh, you know, ha- was one of the fastest growing religions in America in the 1890s to 1920s. Uh, Arthur Con- Conan Doyle was a member of the spiritualist movement. Uh, Abraham Lincoln's wife was a spiritualist, the wife of the inventor of the Winchester repeating rifle. You know, lots of celebrities and famous people. And the religion still exists today. Um, and you can do it that way. You can do it. There are many magicians that uh, that do magical seances where where they uh, they act as if they're doing a seance, but magic tricks make it so they appear to be real. In some ways, you know, the haunted mansion in Disneyland is a magical seance. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so don't close your eyes and don't try to hide, right? And uh, uh, so you know, there's there's lots of there's lots of ways. Of, Parker Brothers makes a Ouija board, you know, for children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so there are lots of ways into it. That's awesome. And so, but you do people hire you to come in and do these sort of seance 
show is a show or is yeah it like- so i do a theatrical recreation of a of a turn of the century turn of the last century seance so as if we are we are here in in the 1890s you know oh, not y2k uh, and, yeah <laughs> y2k and, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, recreation and and based upon you know and i will usually do the first half as a real seance and the second half as a show you know oh, what that's it, cool what it what it looks like if the ghosts arrive <laughs> so what kind of like instruments do you have for the ghosts to talk do you have like like i have a weird i never intended to collect these i have a collection of spirit bells Right. Wonderful. You know, spirit bells, the the uh, you know, when you look at the history of the American spiritualist movement, ghosts tried to reach out to us in many ways. Uh, uh, They started with the Fox sisters in upstate New York that had Mr. Splitfoot who lived underneath their house and he could answer yes or no questions with one click or two clicks. Uh, And then the ghosts started to uh, do autonomic writing where you would hold out your arm and allow the ghost to enter your arm and move the pencil around. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, uh, next, it became slate writing, where you would have chalkboard slates, like the chalkboards that were in schools on the wall. Kids used to also carry around with them. And you would have these blank slates, and you'd put, uh, you'd put chalk on them, turn out the lights, and when you turn the lights back on, there'd be words written on them. Then, uh, then the spirits started to move bells around, started to play trumpets. They were very musical, tambourines. Uh, after this, you started to have uh, full, uh, the spirit enters the body, and, and you, they speak through you, or, or you had uh, uh, plasma and, and phantasmagoria sort of uh, uh, glow-in-the-dark spirits would start to appear or touch you in the dark or whisper in your ear in the dark or you would smell unusual things. Uh, <clears throat> then uh, eventually there were things like you're talking about spirit bells, you know, where the bells would ring uh, by the spirit. And so, you know, is this, is this some sort of poltergeist that can move things? Is this a smell? Is this a temperature change? Is this a voice? You know, the only the only really spooky thing I ever had happen to me in for, for real was I was the only person uh, inside of a abandoned steel factory uh, that was that was going to be turned into a casino and resort. And, <laughs> Which is the natural and, progression. <laughs> and uh, in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, like Bethlehem, right? Bethlehem Steel Mills. And I was the representative of the Venetian, of the Sands Company. And we had the governor coming down. And so the local police had sweep, swept the entire place to make sure that it was safe for the governor to go walk through this place with me. And I asked if I could go ahead of time uh, and take a couple of photos. And so they had promised no one was on this property. Uh, and I was in the property, gravel all around me, outdoors in between some uh, some factory play, you know, buildings there, taking some photos. And I heard in a thick Pennsylvania Dutch accent in my right ear from behind me, a gentle voice say, have a good look around, right? Have a nice. good look around. And I, and I turned and there was no one there and nothing was there. Uh, but on the ground, there was a, uh, a steel railroad tie from the Bethlehem steel mills that had been made there. Uh, and I checked, it was not in my photographs that I had taken just a few moments before, and now it was there. Now, probably 
this voice bounced off some building and I heard it probably I kicked up some rocks and that thing had been under the rocks where I was standing but that is the most that is the scariest sort of real yeah. though it wasn't scary it felt friendly but that was the most ghosty experience I've had and I've been trying did you keep <laughs> the railroad tie I did oh <laughs> I did how much of this belief in ghosts and sort of hearing voices, not that you did this, but is just people wanting it to be true. So they sort of manifest these things and interpret things as voices or as ghosts. You know, I can't I can't determine what's true and what's not true. I mean, I avoid eating bacon because I think my invisible friend will get mad at me. You know, <laughs> you know, I have the bad habit of being Jewish, you know, and so, you know. Today I'm today I'm in, uh, you know, like I said, I'm in Boston and I was in Northtown, the Italian area. And Boston is famous for for lobster and crab and clams. And I avoid all of that. Yeah, because because I believe. Right. And so who am I to tell somebody, <laughs> you know, if a Mormon True. says they're going to hell if they drink a cup of coffee, I'm not going to tell them they're wrong. <laughs> you know, do do your Let's- thing. That's funny that you bring that up because uh, I worked with you one time and um, it and I was you went on first and I was on second. And I have a bit about growing up Mormon and Jewish and I'm waiting in the back as you're performing. And you started to do a bit about growing up Mormon and Jewish. And I'm like, ah, what is he doing? (laughs) That's my whole opening bit. But, and, but you later told me it wasn't your truth and it is no it wasn't truth. no it's not my truth but it, it's <laughs> the mormon part the truth. mormon part is the jewish three, part is yeah. three-fourths of my family are mormon and came across in the first wagon train with brigham young wow. we're the tailors of taylorsville the drapers of draper the Walkers, Walker Bank, all of the, all these uh, old Mormon names. My my great great grandpa is the third prophet of the Mormon Church, John Taylor. That's but, crazy. Uh, and I'm one fourth Jewish, and that's the side that I followed religiously, uh, and so um, uh, through which I'm related to Heim Weizmann, the first president of Israel. Uh, so wow. you know, a lot of my a lot of my family. Mitt Romney is my third cousin, though he and I don't talk anymore. Uh, and, and, but, but a lot of my family are religious leaders and political leaders. And were, you, were you raised leaders. a certain, certain way? Were, was your, your parents like raise you Jewish or Mormon or just you let know, you I decide? Come, now, now turn on the soft violin music. <laughs> I, I come from a broken home and my father's family were Mormon and my mother's family was Jewish. And so I was raised by my mom's family. Ah. So, so that's how I ended up where I did. Where did you grow up? Salt Lake City, Utah. Boom. Land of opportunity if you're cattle. <laughs> <laughs> and how was that growing up a Jewish person in a, land, a place that is predominantly Mormon? Little town, little, you know, we are, I, I call it Jew-talk because I was the one Jew. Um, you know, when I was little, we only had one synagogue in the entire state. And that one synagogue didn't have a rabbi. We only had a cantor, a singer. Wow. And so we, uh, we, um, we were a very small community. Though, historically, there was a time in the 1800s that Utah had more Jews than California. Um, you know, Utah had a Jewish governor 
The one governor who wasn't Mormon in Utah was Jewish. Salt Lake had a Jewish mayor. The Orpheum Theater in Salt Lake was owned by a Jewish guy who brought in Houdini to perform in Salt Lake. But by the time I was growing up, I mean, I had teachers tell me that Jews didn't exist anymore, that I was a liar for saying I was Jewish. I had kids that wouldn't invite me to their birthday parties. And that's how I became interested in magic, is me and the Muslim kid, you know, it took Utah for the Jew and the Muslim to be best friends. <laughs> but he, you know, he was half his family, half of his family was was Irani. Now he's he's now Christian, but but he uh, he the Jewish kid and the Irani kid uh, became best friends because the Mormons wouldn't be friends with us. Wow! And and so we went to the bookstore, uh, not the bookstore, the library. We went to the library to try and learn paranormal stuff in the hope that maybe we could learn some magic spells to get the Mormon kids to be nice to us. <laughs> And the librarian. Wait, wait so, instead, so the Jewish kid and the Muslim kid are forming a coven? <laughs> that's right, to try and learn magic for real. Get friends. <laughs> and to get friends. If, if someone was sold me a friend charm spell, I would have paid anything. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, the librarian eventually took us over to the magic trick section and we built a show. And now suddenly these kids that weren't allowed by their bishops, weren't allowed to invite us to their parties. Um, we're now hiring us to perform at their parties. That's amazing. Wow. And, and so now we get to go to the party. We get paid. We, we get to be the center of the attention over the birthday. Yeah. Kid, uh, and we don't have to bring a present. <laughs> Did you bill that into the price? You're like, for $300, we'll do the show. For $250, we will do the show if we hang first, out outside of the, if we hang out first, one other time. Look, this is like, this is like Sammy Davis Jr., I talked to, to Ben Vereen, uh, who toured with Sammy for a while, and he said Sammy Davis Jr. would want to would be hired for a 75-minute show, and he'd do three hours. And when Ben asked him, why did you do so much time? He said, because we're not allowed in the casino. We're not allowed in the restaurant. We're not allowed in the hotel. I'd rather be on stage in front of people performing than go back to our, to our little teeny terrible room. Yeah. And so, you know, same thing for me. I wasn't allowed at the parties. I didn't get to hang out with people. Uh, but when I was on stage, I got to be one of them. Ah, that's... And uh, that's, uh, you know, and so, so that, was, uh, that was my in there. And I think, also, I think it's also my in of why I became an anthropologist. An anthropologist wants to know, you know, who gets to be in and who doesn't, mm. right? How do I fit in? Who does fit in? What does it mean to be center of the culture, or be, to be a, on the edge of a culture? Now, speaking of going, like, immersing yourself in a culture, like, I read that you went to uh, the Navajo Native American Reservation to learn the, uh, the power of oral tradition. Yeah. So I spent time with the Diné, with the Navajo. I spent time with the Zuni, the Hopi, the Puebloan people. Uh, I spent some time uh, with uh, with spiritualists in New Orleans. I spent some time with Bedouin uh, Bedouin people in Iran. I spent time with uh, with uh, Yanomami uh, tribesmen and women in uh, in uh, South America. They're cannibals. And so, yeah, that's uh, that. What's funny about Wikipedia is I don't get to write my Wikipedia. <laughs> the Wikipedia is a collection of what other people have written about me. So it's always, it's always strange 
what appears on there. It's it's usually pieces of things. Yeah. Uh, and I don't I don't get to go in there and tell the whole story. But uh, but if anybody wants to uh, to add this podcast to my Wikipedia page and <laughs> take some of the pieces of this and add it on there, I'd be grateful. Hang on, hang on. I we got to back this up a little bit. You hung out with cannibals. Yeah. Did you fast before you went? No. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> lose a little they, weight before I get here. <laughs> look, they're not they're not cannibals like flesh off the bone. <clears throat> they're cannibals who uh, who when someone they care about dies, they cremate their body into an ash, and they mix this ash into a banana paste, and then they drink it. So they bury their dead within themselves. Mm. So, so the famous story goes that an anthropologist named Napoleon Chagnon said to them, uh, to us, to Americans, that's disgusting. And the Yanomami said, well, what do you do with, with your, with your uh, dearly departed? And, and Napoleon Chagnon said, well, we, we stick them in a box and we drop them six feet in the ground and we bury them. And the Yanomami said, for, for the worms and the insects to eat, you let them be carried off by, by bugs? That's, that's the end place for your dead? How disrespectful and disgusting. We bury our dead within ourselves, so they're with us forever. I'm down and, with that. And so, you know, and now, you know, and now a popular thing I'm starting to see with some wealthy people is they take and cremate their loved ones and have those ashes crushed into a diamond. Yeah. And so so you can wear a necklace that is literally the family jewels. That's this cool. is my mom, this is my aunt, this is my <laughs> sister, the family jewels. And, and then we'll find out what haunting really looks like. I like the, you know, the consuming of the, it's like a Russian nesting doll. You're carrying the, yeah. uh, the past your past generations. I think that's awesome. That's super cool. A, a, a babushka, a grandma doll. <laughs> exactly. A babushka doll, the, or a scarf doll. The, uh, in Russia, the traditional name for a magician is a volshevnik, volshevnik, uh, which means like wizard. But, uh, but now they use the term hocus pocus. Hey, hocus pocus. Oh, interesting. I get the, I get the Russian circus guys in Vegas. Hey, hocus pocus. <laughs> Now you 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 moderate uh, you know public discourse or public sort of uh, at Comic Con like you you yeah. moderate discussions about you know releases or you'll interview celebrities yeah. when you when you do that how much research do you do and do they give you questions to ask or they tell you stuff not to say right so so um, there these things you know I do it for the Comic Cons Fantasy Cons Fan Xs Anime Expos. Um, all these sort of cons hire me to interview celebrities. The, the reason they're interested in me doing it is because I celebrate the celebrity. Yeah. I'm not there to uncover their dirt. I'm not there to make them cry. I'm there to help the 5,000 people watching us live yeah. to celebrate them there on stage. Um, usually I, I get told which celebrities I, I'll be interviewing you know, only two weeks ahead of time. And I leave that time open so that I can cram their stuff. You know, I, I interviewed Millie Bobby Brown. And so in a couple of days, I watched all of Stranger Things. I interviewed, mm. uh, I interviewed uh, you know, uh, Mickey Dolans from The Monkees. And I watched a bunch of The Monkees. Or I interviewed the, the four stars from Psych. And I watched a bunch of episodes of Psych. Hours I'll never get back. 
And uh, <laughs> well, I saw you did one with the X Files with uh, yeah, yeah, Skinner. I, yeah. That, I'm I'm a big X Files fan, so that was pretty cool. Yeah. So I had the cigarette smoking man and the head of the CIA. Yeah. Um, and I got to stick it to the head of the CIA because he uh, because he was also the voice of the masked magician. Yeah. And yeah. so so I got to say, so explain to me why you took this job, Eddie. <laughs> Eddie got up and walked off stage and then i got him to come back and he said for the money <laughs> um but uh, uh so so i cram their stuff i come up with some questions and then i reach out to their representation ahead of time and i say look i'm going to be interviewing so and so is there anything they do want to talk about don't want to talk about anything they want to promote yeah. And usually the representation says, no, whatever, whatever they talk about is fine. And then I, I usually get maybe 10 minutes with the celebrity before we go on stage. And again, mm -hmm. I say, anything you do want to talk about, don't want to talk about anything you want to promote. And they'll say things like, you know, one of the stars of uh, Cobra Kai said, I don't want to talk about my relationships. Okay. Uh, one of the, you know, I had a famous actor say, I don't want to sing. You know, don't ask me to do that. And so mm -hmm. whatever they, whatever they tell me, they do or don't want to do you know hulk hogan didn't want to wrestle anybody or fight anybody or <laughs> you know hug anybody so we have to we honor their stuff then i go on stage with them for an hour then we usually spend another 10 20 minutes debriefing and they uh and that's that so it's uh it's a uh, you know it's fun very often i've had lots of uh, these celebrities that ask me for passes to the magic castle or mm. ask me to come you know, Danny Trejo asked me to come and do some magic for one of his uh, his taco places in L.A. Or you know, so I've had things come of it, but it's it's really just getting to be a super fan with them and help everybody else celebrate. That's pretty awesome. Now let's let's uh, we'll is, ask is you anybody. Do you think anybody's still listening to the podcast this far <laughs> in? Have I said anything interestingly enough to stay for 38 minutes? Well, we're going to get to the Moisture Festival part of the podcast. Oh, uh, how did you come? You, we're recording this before you even have performed there. Um, right. So what? how did you come to know about the Moisture Festival, get involved with it, and what are, what are you thinking what, coming into it? There are three reasons to take a show. There are three reasons. One because the money is good. You ain't it. Number two, because it's going to build my resume. Not sure. The third is because it fulfills my soul. And you're a fulfill my soul kind of gig. Um, so much of my working uh, career is I travel places alone and do shows yeah. alone and sit in hotel rooms alone. And this is something where you are bringing together all these incredible entertainers from around the country and around the world to share the stage and share the space together to celebrate together. And, and that is really exciting. I've had so many friends who are so talented appear at your festival. One of them that appeared last year, Felice Lang, I'm meeting up with here in Boston. Oh, nice. And, and so, but, but so many great people have uh, you know Abner the eccentric and John Armstrong and all of these all of these great uh, um, great performers. I mean, some are great performers, some are great people. John Carney is an incredible performer, and so you have uh, uh, you you invite these people there, and and I saw it and I said, I I want some ice cream, you know, <laughs> I want to play. You got and some FOMO. I had a, I had a right. Uh, and I had a corporate gig there um, 
uh, about a week before I contacted you, and I had a corporate there in, uh, at, at uh, one of the big convention centers next to uh, the public market, and I was looking up what are cool things that happen in Seattle, and you kept popping up over and over again. And I thought, well, I'll reach out, and maybe they'll let little old me come and play, and I'm very grateful that you said yes. <laughs> again, you're getting booked to hang out with friends. That's it. <laughs> That's the key. Come full circle. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you. Uh, what are you have any uh, sort of expectations or are you coming in just sort of open minded? Um, you know, I, I, I expect a, a bowl of all turquoise M&Ms every day in my we personal 3000 square foot dressing. Room. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> luckily the I, I new hope... venue has that it's yes. actually <laughs> luckily, luckily, that, backstage to be chandelier and champagne um the uh no no i mean my 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 expectation is is that i don't have to work to sell tickets yeah you know i mean so many venues i've got to spend all this time selling all these tickets mm. and and i don't get to do the part i want to do which is just go out on stage and have fun. I like yeah. that there's going to be, that you're going to have musicians, that you're going to have a, a wide variety of acts and amazing people. I love that, uh, that we're, we're creating something that didn't previously exist. Uh, the, sh the exact show that night didn't previously exist and won't exist again except for these couple of days. Well, yeah. one of the, I, I think it's wonderful. One of the cool things you can look forward to is they have a live show band so you can work with them too, which is always a treat. You know, I, I reached out to them and I asked if they could get uh, Pure Imagination going for me. Ah. And so, because so, I do a little piece with the, with the rings, just a, a minute, 90 second piece. Where I where I sing a bit of pure imagination and do the rings, so that's awesome. Nice. So what, is that a preview of what's going to be happening at the, Ooh, at the festival? What? Ooh. Ooh. what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if people want to find out information about you, they can go to pauldraper.com. I I didn't see the social sites. Do you, are you on Instagram and Facebook and all those things? Oh yeah, I'm. Some of those I'm Paul Draper. Some of those I'm Paul W Draper. Mm. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I'm all over on the Instagram, the TikTok, the Facebook, the blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But the best, the best journey is go to, go to pauldraper.com, grab my newsletter. It comes out maybe 10 times a year, almost monthly. And it usually has some fun things about magic, about anthropology, about history, about uh, motivation, about all this fun stuff to connect people with new ideas. Yeah. And the site has a ton of different information on all the different shows that you do, um, uh, something that you do called hospital heels. Right. Or, uh, and so, yeah, go to that site, check, check you out and do a deep dive into Paul Draper. Yeah. Number seven. <laughs> get, get him Paul, some hits. He'll move up to six. Yeah. Lucky number seven. <laughs> well, we're excited that you're going to be at this year's moisture festival. And it's going to be a treat for the people who are at that show to be able to see what you do. You're amazing. And we really appreciate the time that you spent to talk to us today. Great. Thanks so much. See you soon. Hey, thanks, Paul. <laughs> 
We want to thank you for listening to the Moisture Festival podcast. If you haven't bought tickets yet for the festival, you can do that at moisturefestival.org. You can also find out information about volunteering or supporting it financially as well. Just click on the contribute button. You can also find Moisture Festival. They are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube if you want to check out more details on any of those social network sites. If you want to find out more information on Louie and I, we do a podcast together that is completely different than this podcast and it is called the odd and off beat podcast and you can find that on any platform that you get your podcasts at if you would like to find out information on louis and i's shows you can do so by visiting louis site which is louis fox with two x's.com and matt baker's site comedy stunt spelled the way you would expect it to be spelled yes And we want to thank all the volunteers, performers, sponsors, donors, board members, producers of the Moisture Festival for helping make this thing happen. Absolutely. A lot of moving parts, and they do a wonderful job at creating a very unique experience that you cannot get anywhere else. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. And stay moist.